0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, we began a brand new series called The Life of Elijah. And we've, we began talking about this Larger than life man in the Bible who didn't write a book. We don't have any book of Elijah in the Bible. We don't have anything that he recorded by hand that we can say with confidence this was written by the prophet Elijah. He only shows up in about six to seven chapters of these two books, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, his life, but his impact is felt all over the kingdom of God. He's talked about in the Old Testament, not only in the books that his life was, or or, excuse me, that was written about his life, but then also he shows up in the New Testament. He shows up in the book of Revelations. He shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is talking to two great men. He's talking to Moses and he's talking to Elijah. This man's life made significant, significant impacts on the kingdom of God. And I hope that you're inspired through hearing about his life. I, heard that, I hope that you're stirred as we dive into his life. Now, just to catch you up very, very briefly, we began talking about Elijah who showed up from seemingly nowhere. We don't know if he was from Tishbe, but some translations say he was from Tishbe, other translations say that he was Elijah the Tishbite, and that word Tishbite in the, the original Hebrew languages simply meant stranger. In other words, we don't know where he came from. We don't know where Tishbe really was. It was probably so small that you couldn't find it. And so we talked about this man from nowhere showing up and confronting the most powerful man in the nation at that time, King Ahab. And he confronted him with the word of the Lord. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Elijah shows up and he says, because you have disobeyed God, God will curse this land for the next three and a half years and there will not be rain until I give the word. What courage with boldness, and we talked about where that came from. It came from his intimacy with God, but I want you to see something from a, a different perspective. Why was God judging this land? What were they doing wrong? God sent judgment on Israel because they were worshiping this false idol, this false god named Baal, or Baal. We're just gonna call it Baal for the sake of the message, clarity. But they were worshiping this false god named Baal. Really, they were worshiping um, this false god Baal and what some people call his girlfriend slash maybe sister, Asherah. So they were setting up these Asherah poles and they were worshiping both Baal and Asherah. Now again, context. These two quote-unquote gods were Canaanite gods. And the Canaanites were the same people that God drove out of the land so that he could give the land to the people of Israel, to to the Israelites. He drove the Canaanites out of the land and their false gods, yet here we are, years later, God's people are inhabiting the land that God gave them and they're worshiping the same old gods. These false idols. Now, the reason why they were worshiping, I'm gonna get into that a little bit, but these gods, quote unquote. Baal and Asherah were supposed to be the gods of fertility. So they were supposed to, if they worshiped these idols, these idols were supposed to make their land fruitful, their crops fruitful, their livestock fruitful, etc. So while they're worshiping these things that are supposed to make them fruitful, God steps in and says, Oh, really? For three and a half years, you won't have rain. Because you worship these false idols, I'm gonna show you who's sovereign. I'm gonna show you who's really God. And what does that term sovereign mean? It means the one who holds the supreme power. God is saying, you're worshiping these false things, I'm getting ready to show you who's really God. I'm God all by myself. Now I love the way Dr. Tony Evans, he defines what what an idol is. What is an idol? He says an idol is an unauthorized noun that you can look to, to meet a need in your life. An idol is something that is not authorized by God that you look to in order to meet a need in your life. In other words, they weren't worshiping these gods because they were worthy, they were worshiping these gods because of what they can get out of it. That's what we do with idols. We worship an idol because we think if I worship this thing, this thing is going to give me this. Which is why we worship money, because we think it will make us happy. Which is why we worship sex, because we think for the long term it will make us happy. An idol is something God never authorized to make us happy, never authorized to fulfill us, yet we worship it like it's supposed to. Y'all with me? You can tell them they can still make it to church if they get here now. So they're worshiping these false gods, these false idols, because they think, if I worship this, it will make my land fruitful. They're looking to this false idol to meet this need that only God can meet and only God has been meeting. So God says, because you worship, I'm going to shut the heavens and there will be no rain. The very thing that you look to in order to make you happy is going to be your demise. Isn't that the same thing in our lives? The things that we put above God are ultimately the things that trap us. The things that we think were supposed to make us happy end up making us miserable in life because we spent our life chasing it only to realize when we got it, it was empty. If I can only get this to this place, to this position, this much in my bank account, this many women, this many men, if I can just get that and that ends up being the very thing that brings judgment into your life. That's what happened with Israel. Verse two, God steps in, he he makes a point, and he says this, then the Lord said to Elijah, after he told them, no rain until I say so. Verse three, God tells Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Now, Elijah's this bold, courageous man, who obeys the voice of God, and he goes and he tells the king, no rain until I give the word. And then the very next thing that happens is God sends him away. God hides him. Let me make a point. Just because you obey God doesn't mean you won't have challenges. I think sometimes we think, man, Things are going wrong in my life. What am I doing wrong? No, no, no. Maybe the reason why things are going wrong in your life is because you've been doing something right. That's the truth. We believe this lie that if I obey God, everything will be perfect. That's not true. Because here's the problem. Here's the actual, the truth. You're going to have challenges. You can either have challenges for doing the wrong thing or you can have challenges for doing the right thing, but you're gonna have challenges. And I would rather have challenges with God on my side than challenges because God's against me. Y'all with me? Maybe the reason that things are hard is because you have done what was right. Because you have obeyed. Because people didn't like what you did even though God liked what you did. See, Elijah does what God wants him to do and then God sends him away. Now, why did God send Elijah away? I wanna take a few minutes to deal with that. Why did God send, so this is Elijah's moment. Nobody knew who he was before this, he was hidden before this, and now he shows up on the scene, speaks for God, miracle, a big, huge, giant miracle takes place that affects the whole nation, and then he leaves. Why? A few reasons. Number one, I believe the reason why God sent Elijah away was to protect him from danger. God was protecting Elijah from Ahab and Jezebel. And the more we talk about Ahab and Jezebel in this series, the more you're gonna see just how evil and how wicked these people were. These were distortedly evil, wicked people. The Bible says that King Ahab was the worst king in Israel's history up until this point. That's how evil he was. And Jezebel, y'all know Jezebel had to be bad because you still call women Jezebel today. Some of you are like, she's a Jezebel. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks too. But the more we read, the more you're going to see why God hid him, why God took his servant and hid him away from them. The second reason is because God was keeping him humble and dependent on him. God was taking Elijah and keeping him humble by hiding him. And that doesn't always make sense to us, but I want to help you understand it. Oftentimes, it's not hard times that destroy a person, it's success. It's not always being hidden or having challenges that that destroy a person, it's when you see a person who gets everything that they wanted to, to have, that's when you see their true character. That's when you see what's really inside of them. And you start seeing pride, and you start seeing arrogance, and you start seeing these things, why? Because they now have the success to go along with it. Sometimes it's success that destroys us. And I believe that God was keeping this man humble. God hid him for, listen, I know preachers. I've been around preachers for 30 years now. Here's the thing with preachers. They start getting success and it starts going to their head. God uses them and they start going okay. Now it's time for me to start my global worldwide ministry. And that might have been what Elijah was tempted to do. I just spoke, God literally stopped the clouds, shut up the clouds. Well it's time for me to start Elijah.com Ministries. If you send me a thousand dollars today, I'll give you a piece of my tie. That's not what happened. He comes from nowhere, speaks the word of the Lord, and God does not exalt him in this moment, God hides him. How do you handle it when God hides you? How do you handle it when you're hidden? Think about that for a moment. The goal of Elijah's ministry was never his fame. The goal of Elijah's ministry was never his glory. The goal of your fame, the goal of your ministry, the goal of your life its not your glory. The goal should always be the glory of God. He's the one who's ultimately doing this anyway. Elijah was great, but Elijah didn't shut up the clouds by himself, it was God. And I believe God was hiding him, and in doing so, kept him dependent on him and kept him humble. Church, let me just tell you, there's people, even in this room, who are in it for themselves. They're seeking their own glory, and some of them may even use my name I'm I'm one of Pastor Gabe's leaders. No, you're not. I don't know you. I'm a leader in this church. Listen, if you ever have a question, if somebody comes, let me just say this too, because people are scam artists. If you ever get an Instagram or Facebook post from me asking you for money, it's not me. Let I just tell you that? If you get a false name, Pastor Gabe, is this you, they spelled my name wrong. It's not me. But there are people who will use my name and my influence to get what they want, right? What's worse than that is there are people who will use Jesus' name and his influence to get what they want. And God has nothing to do with it. God is keeping this man humble. If you want to follow God, there are going to be seasons in your life where God keeps you hidden. Some of you, the reason why you don't have that promotion is because God's hiding you. Some of you, the reason why you have not gotten that, that, that moment that you've been looking for, that, that breakout moment where everybody knows who you are and everybody recognizes you is because maybe he's keeping you hidden. Maybe the reason, I'm going I'm to go there for a minute, maybe the reason you haven't found your spouse yet is because God's keeping you hidden. I think about all of the quote-unquote options I had before I married my wife, thank God. He said no and or they said no. Because God knew exactly what I needed. We have to be willing to trust him because he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. The reason why you haven't hit it big, you haven't had the opportunity, you haven't had that because maybe, just maybe, God is going, not yet. And we're busy thinking, God, what are you doing? And God's going, Let's just trust me because it's not about you. It was never about you, it's about me, but I'm gonna bless you if you trust me. If you trust me. But then this, this brings about the third point, the third reason why. God did this, why God hid Elijah. To bring further judgment on the people. To bring further judgment on the people. See, real judgment is not when you keep hearing a correction over and over and over again. Real judgment is when they stop talking. Real judgment is when you're not hearing the warnings all the time. Real judgment is when they're silent and they're getting ready to act. What did God do in that moment? Part of the judgment was, yes, keeping the rain, stopping them from getting the rain. But another part of that judgment was stopping the word of the Lord from coming. They didn't even have the ability to hear the word of God anymore because they were under God's judgment. When you find that in a person, it's like their conscience is seared. They don't even care anymore about the evil and the wickedness that they're doing that they're doing, that's the real judgment. I've said this before, God is not up there with a stick going do something wrong, I want you to. Please do something wrong, I'm having a bad day, the angels are singing off key. (laughs) Real judgment is not when God keeps disciplining you, real judgment is when God says if that's what you want, I'm done talking, go get it. If that's the direction that you're committed to going in, Go get it. That's real judgment. And God judged the people so severely that he said, I'm going to remove the person speaking on my behalf away from you. And that's real judgment. This is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 1. It says, listen, O heaven, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the word that I say. Let my teachings fall on you like what? Like rain. Let my speech settle like what? Like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. What are the things that God stopped? Rain and dew. God stopped his word and God stopped the rain. That was his ultimate judgment against the people. Now, the teaching of God, the hearing the word of God, it's refreshing to us, it's nourishing to us. It brings life to us. When when you're not receiving the word of God, you're not hearing God's word, you get dry, you get cracked, you just get ornery. God said, I'm gonna remove my prophet. I'm gonna remove him from speaking, and that's further judgment on the land. Y'all with me? Verse three. Then God said this go to the east and hide by Careth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. What God told him in this moment does not make any sense. None whatsoever. Not only did God say, no, don't birth your worldwide ministry, go hide. Then he tells them, I'm gonna provide for you while you're hiding, and I'm gonna provide by a brook and by sending ravens to feed you. Now let's talk about this for a minute. He said go by a brook, not a river. A river is something that's gonna continue flowing. A brook can stop, a brook can dry up. So he had to live with this consistent sense of, this thing could dry up whenever. It can stop whenever. Why? Because God wanted him dependent on him. And he also says this. He says, I'm going to send ravens to feed you. I've commanded ravens to provide. Now, wait a minute, God. Okay, that don't make sense. How many of you have ever had God tell you things that don't make sense? I, I know he does because in the word of God, listen, it's, I'm gonna get to a raven in a moment, let me just say this. When God says, forgive them, say what? (laughs) Do you know what they did to me? Forgive them. Bless your enemy. God, I'm not Jesus. I don't know if I can, like I'm, you had me in the beginning with the forgive part, but bless them? God, that's against my nature. How about this one, turn the other cheek. I'm out, Lord, I'm out, this is too much. God will tell you things that do not seem natural. They are against your human nature. God tells him, I'm going to send ravens to provide for you. Ravens, have you ever seen a raven? They're selfish. They're they're what's called an opportunistic animal, meaning so raven, they they have roadkill or something, that's where you'll find a raven. After you hit something, a raven's going to come there. If there's a dead animal, a raven will literally wait for a vulture to come because his beak's not strong enough to open up the flesh. He'll wait for a, a vulture to come, open up the flesh, then they come and they start eating. They'll sneak into another animal's stash of food and eat. Why? Because they're selfish. And God says, I'm going to take this selfish animal and this selfish animal is going to provide for you. And not only is he going to provide for you, it's going to provide for you two times a day. Only God can do that. God is saying, I don't care what's normal. I don't care what's natural. I don't know if you know this or not, Elijah. I'm God. What does that mean for you? God can take the very same people who have been against you and turn them around to favor you. He can do that. God can cause the people who would not give you a a time, the time of day and cause them all of a sudden to shift their heart and then bless you how do I know that because when the children of Israel and I'm not trying to go off on a whole different tangent just track with me when the children of Israel left they were slaves to Egypt they were slaves in there for 400 plus years and when they left the Egyptians because God had so harshly dealt with them the Egyptians were giving them gold and silver and say here just take it y'all go God took their captors and made them the providers. God can do the exact same thing in your life, but you have to trust him. You can't manipulate the circumstances. You can't drop little hints in order to help put it in their mind and cause them to do, no, no, no. God is your provider. God is your source. Elijah had no ability to trust in the resource. He had to trust in the source. And then to top it off, not only are ravens selfish and opportunistic, ravens are unclean. In biblical times, they were an unclean animal. For the Israelites in the Old Testament, how do I know that? The, the Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 11 says this You may eat any bird that is ceremonial unclean, these are the birds you may not eat. The gaffron vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon, buzzers of all kinds, ravens of all kinds. God takes an unclean animal and uses it to provide. God will use unnatural things that are not normal to provide for his people. But you have to trust him. Elijah didn't just go there and ravens started. God told Elijah to go there, and God told him the ravens were going to do that. You have your part to play. Your part to play is obedience to God. I'm not talking about naming it, claiming it, blabbing and grabbing theology. God's going to give you a million dollars just because you came to church today. I'm not talking about that at all. If he does, tithe. But... <laughs> What I'm talking about is the blessings of God attached to obeying the word of God, yes, yes. the leading of God. If you want God to be your source, you have to trust him and trust his word. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me keep going. Verse five. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kara brook. He did what most of us would not have done. He obeyed God and he went to this remote wilderness. He obeyed him. East of the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. In other words, the ravens brought him a po' boy two times a day. (laughs) God can do what he wants. This is yet again God saying, I'm sovereign. I am the supreme being. I can change the very nature of things and the very nature of people because I favor my people. I do what I want because I'm God. Let's keep going. God said, I'm gonna cause this selfish, unclean animal to provide for you because I am the source. If you don't catch anything in this message, I want you to catch this. Too often, we focus on the resource instead of the source. We look to the resource and try to make the resource happy with us, the resource pleased with us. When God is saying, I am your source. I provide for you. Everything else, I put in place to provide for you. You're busy looking at that thing, but I am the thing who provided the thing for you. I am the source. And what happens when we believe anything else is our source besides God, when that thing or that person stops providing for us, we get mad at it. We get angry at it because it stopped meeting our needs. It was never meeting your need to begin with. It was only the resource. God is the source. Your boss, hear me, your boss does not promote you, the Lord does. It's the truth. Your job does not meet your needs. It's a resource for God to use to meet your needs. Even emotionally, sometimes we depend on people to meet emotional needs in our life that only God was designed to meet. Some of us, the biggest problems and conflicts that we have in our marriages, in our relationships, is we are expecting them to meet a need in our souls that they were never designed to meet. They were never designed to do that. They can try as hard as they want to. They're never gonna meet the need of rejection in your soul. They can try as hard as they want to. They're never going to be able to calm the fears that you have. They can bring as much security as they want. You're expecting them to do for you what only God can do. He's your source. They're the resource. Look to him. God is our source. That's the whole driving point of this chapter. God is the source. And your responsibility is simply to obey him to obey his word. There's this is a show that Lauren and I and it's So funny, we have a leaders meeting this morning, Pastor Joshua's was up here speaking, and I walked up to him afterwards and said, I hope you know you just preached my message. <laughs> but there's this is a TV show that Lauren and I watch. I want you to look at a different, challenging part for this for Elijah. God didn't send him with a group of people. He sent him by himself into the wilderness. And the only companions that he had to talk to were some ravens who were bringing him po' boys. That's it. This is TV show that Lauren and I watch called Alone. I don't know if y'all have ever seen the TV show Alone, but it's a great show. And in this show, they take, I think, 10 people and they drop them off in the wilderness. And the person that survives the longest wins like $100,000 or a $1 million or something like that. So you you will see these people going out and they have like 10 tools with them and they're supposed to survive in the wilderness by themselves. And while they're out there trying to survive, you you get to, it chronicles their challenges and the struggles and the things that they're dealing with and they're facing. And some of them quit for for reasons like animals that make them afraid. Some of them quit because they're starving and they can't get enough food. But one of the surprising reasons that people quit It's simply because they're alone. And they can't handle being with their thoughts by themselves, they start missing people. They start having emotional breakdowns, why? Because they are alone. Elijah is sitting out there by himself. But here's the thing, some of you today, you feel like you're by yourself, you feel like you're alone, you feel like you're going crazy. There's nobody seemingly around you. Can I just tell you this child of God, you're never alone. Nobody may understand what you're going through here on earth, but he does. And the Bible says he's a friend who stays closer than a brother. God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're dealing with. He knows the challenges. He knows what is surrounding you. He knows your loneliness. And he's right there if you call out to him. You are never alone. And I made this point about Elijah, but the fact of the matter is Elijah knew he wasn't alone because he had the voice of the Lord with him. I believe that whole time he was out there, he was communing with God, which is what God desires for us, intimacy with him. So he obeys God and he's out there. I'm gonna keep going. God was his emotional source as well. Verse seven, but after a while the brook dried up but there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. This is important for us to know because Elijah was not immune from the judgment on the land. The reason why the rain dried up is because of the very curse, the very thing that Elijah prophesied over the land. So now the thing that he prophesied over the land is affecting him. He's out there and the brook is drying up Because of the words that he spoke. And I made this point earlier, but I wanted to resound inside of you again. Just because you're doing the right thing, it does not mean you won't have challenges. Obeying God sometimes will cause challenges, will cause hardships, will cause these problems and these things in our lives. But that's where we trust He's still my source. And when the resource dries up, it's not because God's angry and mad. When the resource dries up in the life of a person who God's hand is on, it simply means he's moving you to another source, another resource. God dried up the brook because he was sending Elijah somewhere else. This is God we're talking about. If God wanted to, he could have kept that brook flowing until this day but he dried it up because he has something else in mind. I heard Dr. Darius say this, and I think it's applicable to what I'm saying right now. Even when we don't understand that God is doing something, he's still doing something. He said when God's doing something, he's doing something. When God's doing nothing, he's still doing something. But we've gotta trust him. So God dries up this source, this resource, rather, and he tells him, go this place. I'm closing this resource. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why that resource in your life dried up all of a sudden and you're trying to figure it out. Why? It's because God is opening up another resource somewhere else, and he wants you to go there. We have to trust his leading and his guiding. I've been plenty of places where people said, You need to leave. And I knew it was not the will of God, so I did not. And they said, You're crazy for staying. I would have been crazy for disobeying. And there have been other places that I have left, and everybody around me thought, Why in the world are you leaving? But I knew it was God's will for me to leave. You've got to follow His leading, follow His prompting. Why? That's when you recognize He's the source. And if you're asking me to do something that is in disobedience to what God is asking me to do, I can already tell you're no longer the resource. You are no longer the resource that he's using in my life. He's the source and he opens up resources the way that he sees fit. Verse eight. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath. Everybody say Zarephath. Zarephath. Near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Now this, the word of the Lord comes and he says, go to Zarephath. Now, just to help you understand this, I'm gonna be closing soon. But Zarephath was a Gentile city. This is the Old Testament. They didn't fool around with Gentile people. Gentile people were unclean to them. And God tells the prophet, the man of God, go to this Gentile city. Zarephath was about 75 miles away from where Elijah was. And he dries up the brook and he tells him, go there. And he, Zarephath, the Bible says, is outside of Sidon. What was Sidon? Where was Sidon? Sidon was the very place where Jezebel was from. God sends his prophet to the home of his enemy. This is God making power moves. This is God going, oh really, Jezebel, you're and bad. I'm gonna send my prophet to your hometown because I'm God. And he sends him there and he tells him, I'm going to have a Gentile woman provide for you. That's confusing. And not only is it a Gentile woman, it's a widow, which means this woman did not have anyone providing for her. God sends him to an unclean woman in an unclean place to get provision from a woman who did not have provision herself. Because God's the source. The word Zarephath, this is what the word means. It means refining. So, get this, God is sending him to another place of humbling, another place of refining. God is hidden this man and now he's continuing to refine this man. What does refining do? Refining is when you heat up a metal and it brings all of the impurities to the very surface, to the very top of it, so that you can clean it off so that that metal could be pure. God sends him to this place to have this woman provide for him. And God said, I've commanded her to provide. Here's the thing, God hadn't told her anything yet. And this is evident in the story, but he said, I've commanded it. When God says something's going to happen, whether they know it or not, it's going to happen. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you bring me a little water and a cup? If this sounds familiar, it should. God tells his man to go to an unclean city and ask an unclean woman for water. Jesus did the exact same thing in Samaria. With an unclean woman, he asked her to give him a drink of water. And when she did, what did he tell her? He said, if you do this, I will give, you will never thirst again. I will give you water that will last forever. Your soul will never be dry again. This is all a picture, all pointing to Jesus. All of this points to Jesus. So Elijah goes and he asks this woman, can you give me a drink of water? Verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a few handfuls of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was going to just gather a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. She's saying, I don't really have anything to give you. I'm literally planning on dying. This is what, this is the woman that God sends him to provide for. Now, here's the beautiful thing about God, and I want you to get this for your life. Please don't miss this. If I was Elijah, I would be sitting back thinking, did I hear the right thing? God, is this the right woman? Because this woman don't have anything. I thought you were going to send me to one of those widows who had a three-story house, (laughs) Tesla in the driveway. This woman's gathering sticks not Elijah, Elijah knew, don't miss this, Elijah knew, does not matter what she looks like because she is only the resource. If she doesn't have it, it only means God's going to give it to her to give it to me because he said it. He said it. And because he said it, I believe it and I trust it. Elijah's faith was not in her, it was in God. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go ahead and do what you've said, but make me a little bread first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Wait a minute, Elijah, hold on. Now you're starting to sound like a televangelist. Now you're trying to, Elijah, you're being being selfish. Can I just tell you, when you obey God, you'll be misunderstood. When you obey the voice of God, people's opinions of you will not always be favorable. And for those of you who even reading this story go, I don't know about that, just because someone takes a principle of God's word and twists it does not mean that that principle is twisted. Elijah was not saying, hey, just, just put me first. What Elijah was trying to teach her was to put God first. He was teaching her: if you put God first, He will meet your needs. If you recognize that He is your source and you honor Him that way, He will provide. That's what He was doing with this woman. There are places. Let me let me keep going. Verse nine. Let me just Matthew chapter eleven. Matthew chapter eleven. He was probably, he could have been misunderstood, even to this day, but he did what God asked him to do. And wisdom is proven by its fruit. How do I know that? The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Jesus said, the son of man, because they were judging John the Baptist as being demon possessed because he wasn't hanging out with them, and then they were judging Jesus because he was hanging out with them, and this is what Jesus says. He said, the son of man, on the other hand, he feasts and he drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But then he says these words But wisdom is shown by the right, excuse me, to be right by its result. Another translation says, Wisdom is proven by its fruit. If you want to know if it was the voice of God or not, look at the fruit. Look at what it produces. If it produces what God wanted it to produce, it was God, it was Him. Wisdom's proven by its fruit. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Elijah's teaching this woman. See, Elijah had faith. She didn't have faith. He was giving her the opportunity to have faith. And he tells her, if you will have faith, if you will trust that God alone is your source, even though there's a famine in the land, you will never run out. The Bible says it like this. I have never, King David said this, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. If you will trust me, I will provide. If you will take this leap of faith. I will provide. If you will recognize God is the source, he will provide. Verse 15, so she did as Elijah said and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah there was more than enough because they took God at his word. It takes faith to believe God and it takes faith to obey God. If you want to know if you have genuine faith, don't just, I believe. Do what he asks you to do. And some of you are going, well, I haven't heard from God in a while. Number one, all you have to do is open up your Bible to hear from God. He's always speaking there. But even secondly, those impressions that maybe you used to have of the voice of the Holy Spirit that used to speak in your heart, maybe just maybe the reason you're not hearing is because you haven't obeyed the last thing he asked you to do. If you want to trust him, if you want to show your faith, faith without works is dead. Obey what he's asking you to do. Here's my question and I'm closing. Do you know that God is your source? Do you trust that everything else is simply a resource? Stop looking to those other things to meet your needs. If you need peace, he's the source. If you need joy, he's the source. If you need your marriage put back together, he's the source. If you need finances, he's the source. If you need wisdom, he is the source. Look to him. Elijah told the woman, you won't run out until this famine is over. But Jesus told the woman at the well, you will never thirst again. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you. You're the source. That's so abundantly clear. You're able to take things that make no sense and provide them in our lives, use them as resources in our lives. People who we never thought we'd be friends with become the closest friends in our lives, bringing the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord to us. You're able to do that. And there are tons of people here, your people today, who feel like they're in a drought. an Emotional drought, a mental drought, a financial drought, a drought of wisdom, a drought of the word of the Lord. God, I pray that you would provide for them because you are the source. If you're here this morning, nobody looking around. If you say, Pastor Gabe, I just feel like I've been in a drought. In any of those capacities, I just want you to lift up your hand. If you say, it just feels like the brook has dried up in my life. I want you to lift it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Lift it up high because I want to pray for you. Okay. You can put them down. Lord, you see the needs of your people and you see their humble request to you this morning, their acknowledgement. The brooks are dried up. But I pray that you would move them to the source, the next resource that you have for them. And they would see you are behind it all. You are in it all. Even some of the things you've dried up you did on purpose. It's no surprise to you. I just pray you give them the faith and the trust to follow you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm far away from God. I don't have what Jesus offered that woman at the well. My soul is dry. I'm empty. I'm far away from him, and and I know it. What I'm talking about is what the Bible calls being born again. Jesus told a religious leader who should have known these things, but he didn't. Jesus said, you cannot enter my kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. What is born again? It's exactly how it sounds. It's when you're brought to new life. And You become a new creation, your sins forgiven, the old you washed away and the new you born again afresh. How do I do that, pastor? We like to say it this way. It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life, sin in your heart that separates you from a holy God. B, you believe, believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for that very sin, to wipe it clean, to wash it away. But C, you confess. Confess what? That he is now Lord, not just Savior. Savior is what he does when he washes your sin away. Lord is when you turn over control to your life, to him, and you say, I'm gonna follow you and do it your way. So with no one looking around, if you're here and you say, Pastor Gabe, I want to be born again today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm making the decision to follow him today. With no one looking around, on the count of three, I just want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, along with everyone else here, to be born again. But if that's you, on the count of three, lift up your hand because I want to know who I'm praying with. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? This is my moment to be born again. I want to be right with God. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? Praise God. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and the Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer to be born again. Come on, yeah.